Lord willing, we will be finishing chapter 25 today of, of Genesis. We will start in at verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that every word of the Lord proves true. And that your word is the truth. We thank you for the incredible privilege that we have of gathering together and devoting ourselves to your word and to the teaching of your word. And I pray that now in a, in a, in a very particular way that you by your spirit will visit us here and will move in our midst. Father, I pray that the main point of this passage that you have for us today will be clear in our hearts and our minds and that we by faith will respond in trust and in obedience to you. Father, I ask that our our dear Lord Jesus will be exalted and lifted high and that you will draw all men unto yourself. Father, in your word it says, let the one who speaks, speak with the very oracles of God. And so, Father, I pray that in a mighty way that you will speak through me today. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Holy Spirit through James... In chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, highlights something very interesting for us. It says this, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For, if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer of the word, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. 
In this passage, the Holy Spirit through James compares God's word with a mirror. And and he's talking about two different kinds of people. The one who looks at the mirror intently and then walks away and forgets what he looks like and goes on. And he contrasts that with the other person who looks and perseveres in looking and not only listens to what it has to say, but is a doer of what it has to say. But, but it highlights something about God's word that I find fascinating. God's word is not just a, a book that's full of all of these stories of different individuals and their lives. And, and it only pertains to what happened to them at that time. But the Lord, in a very particular way, included specific stories of specific people for a specific purpose. And one of those purposes is that as we read these stories, they will act as a mirror and showing us our natural tendencies and and highlighting for us the different sins in detail that we struggle with but then but then also highlighting for us the incredible cure which is found through our dear lord jesus So as we continue on in our study through Genesis, the Holy Spirit through Moses is revealing to us stories of the lives of different individuals. And in today's particular passage, he is highlighting for us Jacob and Esau. And after they were born to Rebekah, which we considered last week, and, and we failed last week in the sermon to highlight just the last two verses of, of that passage in, verses, in verse um, 25 and 26. The first came out red, that all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. So he was the older of the two twins. And then verse 26, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, which means a a trickster or a deceiver. And so um, within the Hebrew language and at that time, that was what was used if someone was being tricky or deceitful. He would hold or reach out for someone's heel. Isaac was six years old when she bore them. So we have the birth of these two boys. And we've already been told that when they were in the womb and they were fighting against each other in the womb, the Lord had made the pronouncement that there were two nations in Rebekah's womb and that they would be divided against one another. And in fact, that the one would be stronger than the other and that the older would serve the younger. And so now, as we continue on, we see the lives of these two boys lived out for us. 
And the Holy Spirit in his wisdom didn't include every interaction that Jacob and Esau had as they grew up. But he included just enough to highlight for us the truth that he wanted to communicate. And in so doing, he gives us a perfect mirror of the exact same struggles and challenges that we face in our own life. And what we see happen in the life of Isaac and then in the life of Esau and Jacob in today's passage, it just highlights for us the simple fact that we as humans are naturally selfish. And we naturally tend to look out for ourselves and for our own desires. And, and the Lord, in a, a masterful way, through revealing what happened with Isaac and with Jacob and with Esau, is shining a mirror on us to highlight, oh yeah, well it's not just them who struggled with selfishness. And looking out for themselves, in fact, that's a struggle that we all face. And it should lead us to the point of acknowledging that before the Lord and seeking Him for His grace. See, in verses 27 through 28, it highlights Isaac and Rebekah's relationship to the boys. And through that, we, we see that Jacob loved Esau because he ate of his game and Rebekah loved Jacob. But through that, we see that they had a love for their sons, but it was based on selfish motives. And then in verses 29 to 34, as we are given the encounter of famished Esau coming to his brother Jacob. And... Esau de despising his birthright and being willing to cast it all away just for a little pot of red stew. He was looking out for his own self-gratification in the moment and forgetting the bigger picture. Because that's what happens when we give into instant gratification. We are acting out of selfishness. And we are forgetting God's bigger picture. And this story, in a powerful way, mirrors to us our own battle with selfishness. With selfishness in how we love others, and with selfishness in how we seek our own gratification in the moment instead of. Keeping the bigger picture in mind and God's purposes for all of eternity and living in light of that. And it should bring us to the point of turning from that and turning to the Lord by faith. Seeking Him to give us the grace to live unconditionally. To love unconditionally without selfish motive. And to live in for His eternal purposes. So first of all, in verses 27 through 28, we, we will get to this quickly. Humans love with selfish motives naturally. That's what our, our tendency is. But by faith, it should cause us to seek the Lord to have hearts that love unconditionally. And without a selfish motive. 
Verse 27, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. So the Holy Spirit through through Moses is highlighting for us the, the character and the nature of these two boys, Jacob and Esau. And from a worldly perspective, as we consider it, Esau was a man's man. He was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. Now, for the reader, as we're going through Genesis chapter 25, this may come as a little bit of a surprise to us. Because if you go up a few verses in 23, the Lord is speaking to Rebekah, and he says this, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So in the Lord's pronouncement over the lives of these two boys, he's saying that one's going to be stronger than the other and that it is going to be the older one who serves the younger. So we would think to ourselves that the one who is being served is the one who is the stronger one. And so now we are in the very, in the very next few verses, we are given this character portrait of these two boys. Esau is this skillful hunter, this strong man of the field. And Jacob is this quiet man, staying back in the tents. So for us, in a natural human way, we would look at and we would say, well, Esau would be the stronger of the two brothers. But the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So, <laughs> favoritism, anyone? And, and it's interesting because this highlights for us the whole reasoning be, behind Isaac loving Esau, showing favor to him. It's because he ate of his game and he loved to eat of his game. One translation, the Legacy Standard Bible says this, Isaac loved Esau because He had an appetite for hunted game. So Isaac would have been aware of the prophecy that the Lord had given to Rebekah that the the older will serve the younger. And that in that, the Lord is saying that his promises that were given to Abraham and then to Isaac would be Fulfilled through the younger of the two boys, Jacob. But even with that understanding, he still favored Esau, the older one. And what was at the root of it? A selfish desire. 
He had an appetite for wild game, for hunted game. So, once again, God's word is the mirror, right? And, and through this mirror and through the life of Isaac, he is highlighting to us our propensity to love people because of what they can do for us. To show favor to people because we have this expectation that they will show favor to us as well. I'll scratch your back because you scratch my back. And that's the way that the world operates. That's how things work in the business world. I'll do favors for you because you have done favors for me. And, and, and we see that happening in politics. And we see that happening in every sphere and arena of life. But the place where it becomes the most detrimental and divisive is when that is the kind of love that is shown within the family unit. When favoritism and love towards someone because of something that they do is shown to one sibling instead of another. And it's interesting because here we see favoritism being shown from these parents. And so no matter, it's, it's no wonder as we continue on through Genesis, we see favoritism show up and pop up. Time and time again, like Jacob, and we'll see that here as we continue in the book of Genesis, he showed favoritism to one of his 12 boys. But at the root of it was a desire, an appetite, a selfish desire. And that highlights for us something that each and every one of us struggles with. Loving people unconditionally. Loving people without having a selfish motive. Our Lord, when he was here on the earth, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, he highlights for us how his followers are to love their enemies. And, and, and in verse 46, he says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. If you love those who love you, what, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors, who tax collectors infamously were trying to take advantage of people. And so he's highlighting... That to love those who love us in return is natural and it's, a, and it's a tendency that we as humans fall into. And it's a very self, selfish, self-serving tendency. And it leads to showing partiality. Once again in the book of James chapter 2, our, uh, right after... Um, Right after the Lord through James talks about God's word being a mirror, he highlights the danger of the sin of partiality. 
In verse 1 he says of chapter 2, My brother, showed no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. And then it keeps on going. In that instance, when they're gathered together and they're showing favoritism towards the one who is wealthy and saying to the one who is in the poor shabby clothing to sit in the back. If you think about it, why would that be the case? I think if we delve down to it, at the root of it is a selfish, self-serving desire. Well, this guy's rich. Maybe he'll give me something. This guy is wealthy and he has status amongst everyone. Maybe everyone else will see me hanging out with them and think, oh, look at Pastor Luke. He's so, he's so cool because look at who his friends are. Very self-serving. In our lives, as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, how is our love for others? Do we find ourselves loving and giving to others because of what they do for us? Or because of what Christ has done for us? First John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. The love that we have for our spouse. Are we doing favors for them with the hope that they will scratch our back in return or do something that we want in return. The love that we have for our kids. Are we giving of ourselves unconditionally and laying down our lives motivated by the love that Christ had for us when he laid down his life on the cross and rose to life again selflessly? The the love that we have for our neighbors and for the community and for those the Lord puts in our way, for the poor, for the lost, for the ones that we don't get along with naturally because they're just hard personalities to, 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 to get along with. I think each of us struggles 
in this area where we have self-serving love. And may the Lord, by His grace, bring us to a realization of His great selfless love for us at the cross. And may we remind ourselves of Jesus' blood that was spilled for us without any self-serving motive. And may we turn to Him in faith and say, Lord, Cause me to love others as you have loved me unconditionally. To give without expecting anything in return. Within the home, within the community, within the church. See, God's word is a mirror. And through Isaac, it mirrors to us and it highlights to us our natural tendency to show favoritism and to love from selfish motives with expectation. And it should cause us to evaluate and say, Lord, highlight any selfish motive in my life and to bring it to the cross and call on the Lord to give us a motivation of unconditional love and service for others. Secondly, in verses 29 through 34, we see that humans reject God's purposes for selfish instant gratification. By seek by faith, seek the Lord to live for his eternal purposes. In verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, so this once again highlights for us what has been given to us about the character of the two, the two men as they have grown up. That Esau was in the field and Jacob was around the tents. So he was in the tent cooking stew and it said Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. Now to me, I find this pretty interesting how it highlights he comes in from the field and we can... We can, we can um, Presume that he was hunting because we had just been told that he was a skillful hunter. So he comes back and he's exhausted. And, and it says in verse 30, And Esau said to, G- to Jacob, Let me some, eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. We can ask ourselves, well, why was he exhausted? Well, there's kind of two reasons that, that have come to my mind of why Esau was potentially exhausted. One would be he was out hunting, and although he was a skillful hunter, he wasn't successful. And he kept going after the game, and he went this way and that way, and... No matter how hard he hunted, he just wasn't finding any success that day. We don't know if maybe he had a shot with his bow at one and he missed. Or what it was, whatever it was, but he had exerted himself and then he came back empty and he didn't have, um, he didn't have any food. The second option was, well, he was out hunting and... He was successful and he shot something and then he started to pack it out. And for any of us who have hunted before um, and have been very far back, 
back in, we know how exhausting it is to pack out an animal. But there's part of me that thinks that that would be an unlikely circumstance here for Esau. Because if he would have shot an animal way back far, if he was a skillful hunter, he would have known that he needed energy for the pack out. And so there was a very real chance that he probably would have cut off a few pieces of meat and, and cooked them over the fire and he would have been able to eat to prepare him for the journey back. So my suspicion is, is he comes back exhausted because he had a, a failure of a day hunting. And he comes, and, and it's interesting in, in the Hebrew when he says, um, let me have some of that stew. Let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. One, one translation says this, then Esau said to Jacob, please give me a swallow from the red stuff. This red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. So, you know, Jacob just has this pot and there's some red stuff in there. And he says, just give me a swallow of that red stuff. And, and, and it's interesting because it says, therefore, his name was called Edom. Um, one commentator highlights that there's a wordplay between red stew or red stuff and the name Edom. Because in Hebrew, red stuff is the, the word Adam, A-D-O-M. And Edom was the nickname that Esau got. Red stuff. So he saw this. He says, give me some of that red stuff just to swallow. And then here, once again... Jacob the trickster, Jacob the, the conniver, the ultimate opportunist. He said in verse 31, sell me your birthright now. So what would have led Jacob to say that? We don't know. But there's part of part of. Uh, Part of me that thinks that Jacob could see that Esau really couldn't care less that he was the firstborn. Which in that day to be the firstborn meant that you received the, the largest share of the inheritance. And in, in this particular situation, it was huge. Because God had given promises to Abraham that were passed on to Isaac and those covenant promises were going to be passed on to the heir of Isaac. These covenant promises that were given back in Genesis chapter 12, that ultimately led to the birth of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, were going to be passed on to the heir of Isaac. And, and in this moment of weakness, Jacob says, sell me your birthright, and then see Esau's foolish answer in verse 32. Esau said, 
I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Now, there's nothing in the text that tells us whether or not that was a true statement that he was about to die. There's a lot of me that thinks it was a bit of an exaggeration. And part of that is because in verse 33 it says, um, well, in verse 34 it says, uh, Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. So if he was truly about to die, um, he probably wouldn't have been able to, after just eating a bowl of soup and some bread, get up and go his way. So it was a bit of of an exaggeration. But in that moment, he was feeling that exhaustion and that tiredness and that hunger. And it's kind of like for us when... We're in that position. It's easy for us to say, well, I'm starving. Are we really starving? No. But in that moment, we're, we're being controlled by our feelings that are coming to the forefront. And so what happened is right here, Esau allowed what he was feeling at the time to lead him to make a decision for instant gratification. And the thing that I find is interesting is the barter that he made with his brother didn't even include something with meat. Just lentils. And, And I think there's some irony here. Because... Earlier in, in, in verses 20, uh, 28, it says that Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. He loved meat. And Esau loved meat too. And Esau was willing to give up his birthright. His right to be the heir that received all of God's promises that were given to Abraham and Isaac for a little bowl of red stuff. Lentils. Verse 33, Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And then the last phrase in the chapter highlights for us what was going on in Esau's heart. It says this, thus Esau despised his birthright. In last week's passage... We considered the prophecy that the Lord had made over the two boys. Where he said, the one shall serve, shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And we highlighted that the Lord had made a choice of Jacob instead of Esau. But what today's passage highlights for us is that although the Lord in his sovereignty had made a choice of Jacob instead of Esau, the choice that God made did not go against Esau's own will. Because Esau despised his birthright. 
And, and, and there's, there can be different, um, you know, we can, we can look into the depths of all that that means. But it's so interesting that in that moment, he despised his birthright. And once again, we see how in God's economy, he is sovereign over all things. But there's also this certain measure of human responsibility and how it all works out. In eternity, we will see. Esau despised his birthright. In in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, the Holy Spirit through the author of Hebrews tells us, starting in verse 12, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And this is coming on the tail end of him speaking about the discipline that the Lord gives his children. It says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That no one is sexually immoral, and then listen to this, or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright For a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The Holy Spirit, through the author of Hebrews, (laughs) is pretty blunt in telling us about Esau's character. He was unholy. And it was shown in that he sold his birthright for a single meal. In that moment... He was looking for the immediate self-gratification, the instant gratification, without thinking of the bigger picture and what God had in store for the one who was to inherit from Isaac. He was living by faith in what he saw instead of thinking of what he didn't see. Once again, God's word is a mirror, right? And through Isaac, it highlighted to us how our propensity to love people selfishly from selfish motives. But here through Esau, it highlights for us the propensity of our hearts to do just the same thing as he did. To get caught up in the moment... And seek instant gratification 
from something that has very little value and really can't bring lasting satisfaction. And to give into that instead of remembering who God is and all of His promises and all that He has in store for those who love Him. In our moments of weakness, when we're tired, when we're hungry, it can be very easy to give into the temptation of the flesh. To, to find something that will just satisfy our selfish craving at the moment. And in the world and in the society that we live at, we don't have to look very far to find something that the Lord has, has forbidden because He knows that it will lead to destruction in our life, but it is so easy to get. Through our phones, we can, we can access pornography at any moment of the day. right there. And, and there's so many things that we could, we could give into because there's this, this temptation that it will fulfill this hunger, this craving in us. Drinking, smoking, drugs, eating too much. There's all sorts of things that in the moment of our weakness our flesh can be tempted to go to. And when we do that, we are acting as unholy Christians. Meaning, like Esau, not set apart unto God and His purposes. And that's simply what, what holiness is, is being set apart for God's purposes. And this is something that each and every one of us face the temptation of, I would say, on a daily basis. Where it's easier to give into instant gratification of our selfish desire than to persevere even through maybe a difficult, un uncomfortable circumstance, remembering the bigger picture and all of God's promises and what He has in store for us. One commentator says, Esau pictures the natural man's propensity to be lured by his own lusts and worldliness, to value things seen and not the promises of God. He is not interested in spiritual matters, but the thrill of the day and what he can indulge in now. He is not mindful of the future, but when the future arrives, he is remorseful Concerning the consequences of past actions, yet not repentant. Isn't that so true? But you know what? There's good news. There's good news for all of us. Because each of us, we have, at moments of weaknesses, 
given in to the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, and the pride of life. And we've given in to things that may bring temporal, a temporal sense of satisfaction, but as we go on with our life, we realize that it really doesn't satisfy Each of us have done that. And even as believers, we still do that. But thank you, God, for Jesus. And and thank you that he is a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And you think about when he faced the temptation in the wilderness, he was famished. He had been fasting for 40 days. And in that moment of weakness, Satan came to him. And he he didn't give in. He fought with God's word and he, he lived out perfectly what it's like to persevere under trial and under temptation. And now for those who have looked to Jesus in faith that he died for our sins and he rose to life again and he's ascended on high and when we trust in him, he comes and he lives inside of us. The one who, who in his hunger and in his, his weakness didn't fail. He lives in us. And he by his power and by his spirit. Can empower us to live a holy life. To, to not be like Esau. But to remember God's purposes. And to be satisfied in him alone. And to not give in to the instant gratification. That our selfish desire craves for. And when we do, to come to him and to his open arms where he will forgive and cleanse and wipe away every guilty stain. And by his presence, satisfy the longings of our heart. And in so doing, give us what we need in order to love others unconditionally and selflessly. See, God's word is a mirror. And it highlights for us the sin sickness deep in our hearts. But it also highlights for us the cure. Our dear Lord Jesus And Isaac's life and Esau's life and Jacob's life should challenge all of us. For the Lord to to highlight within us these places of selfishness that we haven't surrendered to him. Whether selfishness in our love for others or selfishness in wanting what we want and wanting it now and not thinking of eternity. And in light of his grace, turn from those things and live for his eternal purposes. See, humans are naturally selfish, but by faith seek the Lord to live selflessly. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that you speak to us through your word. And I pray that you will speak to our hearts, that we will live by faith. And Father, anything that it was not of you, I pray that you would just erase it and take it away. But everything that was of you, I pray that you would just apply it to our hearts. Father, I confess my, um, my natural tendency to, to live selfishly and to, to love others selfishly and to look for instant gratification and selfish gratification without remembering the bigger picture and your bigger purposes. And as a people, we just confess that to you that each of us battles with that. And we thank you so much that in Christ we have forgiveness and cleansing and his perfect love that casts away all fear and motivates us to love others selflessly and to not seek to fulfill our own selfish wants and desires even in our weak moments. So Father, I pray that we will look to you and seek you and trust you in this upcoming week. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.